Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yeah! It is a Oh man, that guy in our audience is so loud. He's here every week too. He loves this show so much. He's my favorite half work in our audience. I love him though. He's really cool. I want to give him a hug. Super. Oh, that felt good. Oh, love you, Greg Tito. Now go kill those goblins that are coming at us. <laughs> uh, we are here at the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. And yep. I'm Greg Tito. I am not. You are. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. And we are here with all the things you need to know about happening in Dungeons and Dragons land. That's right. That's right. That's what we do. Yeah. We make it happen for you. We let you know all the things. Today we're going to talk, uh, uh, you have a segment. I have in a this. segment. Yeah, that's exciting. How to DM. How to DM. I will be talking to Adam Lee today about how to manage your party. Very exciting. Yeah. You're going to, see, with all this, this learnings, you're going to have to get behind that screen. I'm not going to lie. I'm getting a little inspired. Yeah. Just also, not, no pressure on you, but I will be studying you tonight oh, okay. when you DM for our friends. Hey, you've talked about prepping. For de- yes. with, with other dumb masters for this segment already, right? Yeah. You will see how I have almost zero prep, <laughs> except what's in my head. Uh, so, yeah, that's a whole different style. Some folks yeah. go, uh, you know, write copious notes and, and lots of maps and things like that. I have a map that my child made uh, that I, will be, I was inspired by, and we'll just go off of that and uh, use my inspirational skills. Well, I feel like, and I don't know because I'm not a dungeon master, but I feel like I might... Go more in the the no prep vein because that one time that I did DM and I was super prepped and it screwed everything up. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I might just be like, eh. yeah. And as being a, a former performer, I think there's there's something to that where you can kind of read where everyone's going and just you know use the collaborative storytelling yeah. skills of D and D to its to its fullest potential. And our guest, our interview today, yes, Brennan Lee Mulligan. Does is all an, that is a, a comedian. That's and, right. Uh, has an improvisational background and a dungeon master, so right. he can probably give some good advice on this too. It's fortuitous that we were able to uh, uh, book him for this interview Love for it. what's happening tonight in our in our private lives. Right. Um, of course, it is exciting. He is the dungeon master for uh, Dimension Twenty. You might have seen that show all around the internets. Yep. People talking about it forever and ever. It is very it's very great cool. Cast. Uh, Beautiful visual look. I, I haven't listened to a lot of it myself, but I love where they're going with it, as well as the uh, current arc that they're in, which is takes place in a high school, yes. uh, which is super awesome. And I, I'm, I'm inspired by that already, just by that single I idea, know. and I want to find out more. Yeah. And you will soon. It's like high school musical, but not yeah. high school magical. <laughs> magical musical. You can take that name. It's going Go to the Go for bank. it, people. Trademark that was search a freebie. that right now. That was a freebie. Magical musical. Yes. High school magical, magical. music. <laughs> Disney's already being like, we've got that locked up. Don't worry about it. Nope. Nope. Eh, okay. What else? So big week. Did you announce anything cool this week? I think so. Mm. Uh, so have you ever heard of a show called Critical Role? Is it on NBC? No. Oh, oh. Um, yes, actually, I think I have. It's like a bunch of um, like voice actors only play D and D. Yeah. Yes. Uh, super awesome people: Marisha Ray, Laura Bailey, Travis Willingham, Sam Regal, uh, Ashley Johnson. <laughs> I'm missing like two of them. Uh, uh. Matthew Mercer. <laughs> 
<laughs> and Liam O'Brien. I've heard of him, yes. Yes. Uh, they are all amazing folks. That was good. We, we've good. had them at D&D Live many a time, uh, interviewed several of them on this here podcast. Yep. Yep. We are publishing a book, Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount, a campaign setting book similar to Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica or... Um, uh, I yeah, Ink, right, exactly. That it has a whole bunch of stuff all about the second campaign that they have been running since about this time last year. Is that right? Or is it two years that they've been running it? I think, you know, yeah. Very exciting. So cool. They're so um, uh, invested. They worked with a bunch of wonderful freelancers uh, and writers, Chris Perkins and Matthew Mercer. I, I, over the last year or so, we've seen them. Here in the office, conferring, sharing notes, working together on producing this amazing book. Um, and everybody who is a critter out there will yeah. love it because it gives tons of background information about the show that and the lore behind yeah. that show. And Dungeon Masters out there, you'll be able to run a game set in Matt's world with all that information at your fingertips uh, for the second campaign for the first time, as well as a lot of fun things that... Cool. You may not know uh, yeah. from watching the show might be in this book. I mean, just as a fan of the show, I think they would, people would probably just love to read the book cover yeah. to cover, even right. if you don't end up playing in it. But just what a cool read! Yeah, it reminds me of like um, uh, those like source books around like a Song of Ice and Fire or things like that. Where yeah, like, here's just more information that uh, uh, you can use to flesh out your understanding of what's happening in this world. Yeah, it's like world building to a T. Yep. The other cool thing that's in this book, though, is there's uh, three new subclasses um, and as well as tons of spells. Uh, Matt's been experimenting with probability and things called dunamancy and things like that, and those are all explained within this book. And then uh, Dungeon Masters can infuse or use some of that material within their own home campaigns. It's like all of the books that we put out there. Man. You can you can mine it for really great ideas, even yeah. if you don't plan to, to play directly in that setting. That's so Right. I'm getting inspired again. Inspired again. Uh, the visual look for this book is also very interesting. Oh, I, I love loved the cover. The cover. Uh, loved it. Very, very cool. And you shall see it everywhere. I mean, people were really excited about it when we announced this. Very. Uh, on, uh, on Monday. Yeah. It shot up onto the list. Amazon's list for best selling books. All books. All books. Not fantasy books. Not D&D books. Um, not even like storybooks like it is all books being sold right now um it was all the way up to number one the book that i think was number one that moved to number two yeah where the craw dads craw dads sing i just read oh really it's wonderful (laughs) because (laughs) because of of you look checking this list and and being uh uh, uh, inspired on getting that from the from the thing. I just spit on my gum. <laughs> <laughs> we are all types of professional today. Uh, um, <laughs> another reason why you want to watch the live stream. I just like, spit a lot in no. Ryan's direction. Um, but yes, it's funny. That book is like like book of the year. It's been a, number one forever. Yeah. And then it's, I mean, and it, it, got bumped. it. It got yeah. bumped for a D&D book. It just blows my mind. It is. It does. But it is a great book. It's fantastic. I can't believe it's always a, you know, I, I'm, the last time a book like, uh, of ours went that high up on the list. I think it was Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Was that number one too? Uh, no, it never reached up number one. It got to like, I think number six was might have been the highest wow. it had ever reached. 
Um, but at that time, it was, you know, beside books by, you know, Oprah and, oh, yeah. and like, Joe Biden or something like that. Right. Like, it was in these, like, you know, this this pantheon of, you know, real, yes. <laughs> quote-unquote, real Michelle authors Obama's. that are out there, yeah. right? And you're like, how how is Dungeons & Dragons I reaching wonder, this level of popularity? I wonder if, like, if they're reading it or they're publicists and they're like, what? <laughs> or, like, when, it, when D&D books show up on, like, the... USA Today bestseller, New York Times bestseller in nonfiction. And it always just makes me laugh because you know those authors have to be checking their list and like Dr. Oz is like, what? Why am I bumped for who's Xanathar? Who's Wild Mount? (laughs) Why are they wildly mounting? Yeah, so Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount is uh, by all indications going to be a huge hit. Everyone is excited about uh, picking it up and uh, interpreting it and using it in their games. Hopefully we'll be doing tons of Laura, you should know segments, uh, maybe even with Matt, uh, to uh, get more information about what is the the lore is all yeah, about there for you. That would be very. We're interesting. gonna be talking to Chris Perkins and Matthew Mercer later on this year, uh, closer to the release date. Uh, so that's really exciting, and uh, yeah, all all things moving forward on trying to get the word out there about this book. But I, I think, think we need to. Kind of don't. Know. I don't think we need to. I, mean, I think the it. word's kind of out there. Spilled the beans. Um, so, speaking of USA Today. Yeah, yeah. Whose picture was in the newspaper? Shelley Mazanoble. Not the most flattering picture, but it's a picture. You are there with Kate uh, Welch, Dungeon Mastering. Yes. Uh, she's a good gesticulator uh, and doing things. Chris Lindsay's beside you yep. laughing. Dan Tovar. Yeah. That was such a fun game, too. That, that was w- like pure, genuine laughter. Unfortunately, my laugh face isn't like... That photogenic. Everybody loves uh, laughter. What are you talking about? I think that's that's the most attractive equality a person can have. I love is being laughter. able to laugh. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah, and yeah. not caring what you look like when you do it. No, although now I do care, so I'm going to laugh like this. <laughs> <laughs> that looks worse. That looks so bad. <laughs> Your laughing is making me cough. I'll laugh like this. Uh, <laughs> in case you're wondering, we're talking about a, an article that was in the USA Today this yesterday. week. Yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. <laughs> uh, in the money section. We were on the front page money. of the money section uh, talking about the Dungeons & Dragons revitalization that is happening. We've been talking about it for years, but you know, USA Today uh, was uh, interviewing both Chris Perkins, Nathan Stewart, uh, VP of the franchise, and uh, it's it's a great it's a great story. Yeah, it tells a lot about what uh, why, why we think it's 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 getting this this gain in popularity, what it means to people, uh, as well as where it could go in the future. So very so excited. I posted a link to it um, on the socials, and somebody commented, and they were like, "Oh, my son is taking a D and D class <laughs> like, in school." I'm like, okay, a class in D and D. This is a class now. I that's I great. said I need more information. Please, <laughs> please send it my way. Um, so, yeah. Very but cool. Apparently, you can take a class. You can see, I mean, the New York Times did an article just a few months ago that was very similar in, mm-hmm. in tone and breadth. And so it's, it's, it's all about getting more people into this hobby. Yes. Uh, and with the excitement for things like uh, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount as well as the, you know, uh, Essentials Kit last year, the, the huge sales still for starter sets and player's handbooks out there, um, it means that there's a lot more people who are coming into playing D&D for the first time yes. right now. Yes. Um, and I think that's that's great. Like the we're growing, the growing the hobby. We're growing uh, you know, people from different communities who may not have seen themselves playing D&D in the past. Now, right. they can, now they can. 
And um, uh, you know, what I love about this this community is that we've been just welcoming more and more, and want to tell their stories together. Well, we're we're gonna welcome two more tonight when you DM for our friends. That's because, right. Because I mean, this is people who've never played, but have had that curiosity. And now they will have played, and they will be part of our community. I'm so excited. Dun dun dun. I'm so excited. I like. I like it. I like everything that's happening. So check out those stories. Check out Explorer's Guide to Wild Mount. And uh, we will now kick it to talking about Dungeon Mayhem. Because I want to make sure we get that out there. Dungeon Mayhem. Dungeon Monster Mayhem. Monster Madness coming February 14th. Six brand new decks for your monster or for your uh, Dungeon Mayhem yeah. games. Fully just integrate them with your existing decks. And then you might be thinking, six new decks? And I already have six decks. Where am I going to keep all of say, these decks? Can you say characters instead of decks? Because saying that over and over again. Characters. Characters. Character decks. Character decks. <laughs> trying to like abbreviate. I know. I know. Six new characters. Yes, because they are. Uh, there's monsters. They are the characters. The artwork of the monsters are, are very evocative and you get their, their characters from them. You have sure. a red dragon, a mind flayer, a beholder, an elevator, yeah. a cube, and a mimic. A gelatinous cube. That's oh very cute. Oh, my God. His oh. name is Blorp. Blorpy. And he just wants to hug you. I love Blorp. Yeah. I'm going to give him a high five. Reach on in there. <laughs> now I'm in there. But the, the game, um, it comes with this beautiful storage box that you can keep all 12 of your Dungeon Mayhem decks in. Because there's been 12 Character decks, so sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and you can keep your tokens. There's a little token box in there, too, because... My, I always find tokens on the floor after we play. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I love that. I love having a uh, carrying case for everything together yes. as well as uh, now you can play with six players at once, right? Five or six. Five or yes, six. Yes, we have given you the official rules. Official. Two to six players. It's on the box, people. It is now, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? It's it's made for home rules. What about eight players, yeah? You want to just do I mean, Stop. <laughs> Stop the madness. <laughs> the only thing I would worry about with eight players is like, by the time it, I don't want people to like get bored. But you know what's cool about the oh, five because and because it takes a yeah, while to yeah. get back to you. But in the five and six player rules, we uh, thought about that potentially. Like if you get knocked out of the game early, yeah, and the game, and then there's still like five more people still playing. No, no, you're not actually knocked out of the game completely. We've given you a, a, another little job to do so that when it, your turn rolls around, you can still do something in the game. I love, when I was playtesting this, I thought that was a brilliant you idea. You like that? Yeah, because you're right. Like, if you, it sucks if you're all six of you are excited to play, you get knocked out first, and you're like, oh, great, I don't get to play for, hmm. even if it's five to ten minutes, it just, it, it's, a, it's a sad feel. But the, being, and have you, can I say that it's called the, the ghost? Is it still called the ghost? I think so. Yeah. Venge- vengeful ghost. The vengeful ghost. Yes. So yeah, you can choose to do. One damage. To any player. To any player, but you cannot deal the lethal damage. Right. So if you, can't, you can't take someone out of the game. So it becomes like an equalizer yeah. type thing where you're like, oh, you're leading, so I'm going to knock you down. Revenge. Revenge. Or just you want to be like, I'm, the person who took me out, I'm going to constantly always hurt them. Yeah. And then also in the. The five to six player rules, we've made it so that you can only target the person to your left or your right, right. to prevent like everybody from like ganging up on Greg Tito. That's smart. For instance. Yeah. yeah. So you guys thought it through. I mean, you really did playtest all permutations oh, yeah. here. Yeah. It's the playtests are getting bigger and bigger and bigger because now you have to play all of these decks against all the existing decks to right. make sure, like, you know. Right. 
the um, beholder's not just going to crush poor Leah. In chat, they're already talking about 100-player Royal, royale just happening. do it you just know what do it. do it and just let me know how it goes yeah shoot some video I'm just of it. like I'm cool I'm chill I'm zen I'm laid back I don't care I like it <sighs> so that's don't exciting it's coming on you. February 14th it's a perfect date night for two people four six of four, you four six people we're, we're open to all things that you can do on Valentine's Day and I think it's gonna be fun Cause some mayhem. Cause some monster madness and, you know, in your dungeon. Look mayhem. out on the socials uh, leading up to that for maybe some cool little promotions. Ooh, I like that. I like that we also like gave a scoop. I don't think we've talked at all about this go- vengeful ghost. Room, we haven't. So no, you know now, what? Now people know. You're well, rewarded. You're welcome. The last podcast, Wolfgang broke some news, and now I feel like we have to continue to do that. Okay, every every podcast now. Every podcast. <laughs> it's gonna keep breaking news. I mean, it might not be like. Our news. We'll just find some news. It'll be some news. It'll be news. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure it out. So yeah. if you guys got some news that you want it to break, let us know. Yeah, we can we can break other people's news. Speaking of uh, news that we want to break, let's find out about how to manage some players. Yeah. With let's manage your pate. Manage your pate. Yeah. Your repartee. Your repartee <laughs> with Adam Lee. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to How to DM. And I am here with Adam Lee. Hello, Shelley. Hi. How's it going? Great. How are you? I'm groovy. Yep, all's well. Thanks for being here. Um, This is a segment that is a little bit selfish. Excellent. Because I really do want to learn how to be a DM. And I (laughs) lack all confidence, and I'm super insecure. (laughs) But after talking to Dan Dillon and Mm. Wes Schneider... Um, and lots of people on Twitter, I'm starting yeah. to like feel like the the seeds of inspiration. Yeah. And I know that you're a wonderful dungeon master oh. and a wonderful person in general. Oh, thank you. So I feel <laughs> like you can also help. Mm-hmm. So lots of, of questions. I have so many questions. I'm trying to break it down into little um, sections. Yeah, yeah. Little topics. Cool. So um, I know that there's other people out there that, that probably – are a little intimidated about being a dungeon master, and hopefully listening to us talk about it gives them also a little bit of inspiration and some confidence. Um, Go forth. One of the topics that I would like to talk to you about is about managing your Mm partay. Because you're the dungeon master, and that's, you know, a big part of your role, right? Like you're the, you know, kind of bringing these people together. Yeah, and you want to make sure everybody has a good time and yes. that, you know, that there's not an imbalance where, you know, everybody's like, hey, do we have any healing? We're all dying here. Right. Yep. Oh, see, I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. Like, you actually have to think about, like, what role everybody's playing. Yeah, yeah. Ah, crap. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so that actually is, um, well, that's a good first question. Yeah. How do you assemble these people, um, not just by party role, but also, like, by personality or... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends. Like if you um, are starting out with your buddies, like your friends, your good friends, and you sort of know, you've talked about D&D and you sort of know what they want to play. Like you've got your friend who's totally like, I just want to hack things down. And you got your other friends like, I just want to waltz through the trees and be like a <laughs> druid. And it's like, so you, every friend you have has an archetype. And so usually they just map it straight to a character. 
that they want to play. Is that something that you see like new players do a lot? Like they they tend to gravitate towards oh, yeah. characters that are similar to them? Yeah, or they've seen a character on TV or in a movie that they love yeah. and they're just like, I've always wanted to play, you know, like this character that I saw in a manga or somewhere or saw on anime, you know. So they're like, they want to do that super bad. So they, they want to like live that character. So, um, so you never want to, like me as a DM, I, I never want to like, deny them that. If they want to play a character super bad, then that's sort of primary in what I, I let my, my players do. So give them the, the character that they want. And then the next, the next problem you have is like, okay, is the party balanced? And if it's like they're all fighters, it's like you can deal with that. There's a way to deal with that. Um, you know, on one level it's easy because then you just give them tons and tons of combat and they're all happy and they're like, yeah, we get to do what we want to do. Um, and then when it comes time for something like healing, when they usually would turn to a cleric or a bard maybe or you know, another spellcaster to you know, heal them up after they've been beat up, um, you can switch that out by you know, finding they can find potions or they can meet a, an NPC. Like I've had NPCs where you know, they're, they're walking into the forest and they're going to defeat the evil you know, hag or whoever. And uh, I'm like, oh, these are mo- mostly fighters. They don't have a lot of healing. Um, they can meet a, meet a sprite. Or a friendly um, gnome or something, NPC who comes out and says, like, I know all about the healing plants of this forest. And, and, oh. and so you can have that character move along with them. I was just going to say, can that character travel with them? Yep, totally. Oh. So you can fudge it that way where if the, the party's unbalanced or if the other way's around, they're all sort of spell casters and mm-hmm. there's no, like, burly barbarian or fighter to, you know, take the... The blows, then you can do the other thing where they they meet like a a friendly um, you know you know werebear or something, and he comes in and like, hey, you know, I've, you're walking some dangerous country. You look squishy. Yeah, come with me, little buddy. <laughs> um, and then the werebear can help them sort of uh, you know deal with the, the problems that they face. So so there's there's tricks to getting around it. Okay, so mm-hmm. there really is a there's no wrong party. Nope. Because no you can party. fix anything. Yeah, you can fix it. I mean, if, if the players are, you know, strategy-minded and they're like, and they're already thinking about that kind of stuff, well, oh, well, we need a healer. And because if they've played video games, you know, well, there's the DPS yeah. person, the tank, and then there's the, the you know, the utility person. So they, they understand those concepts, and then they're like, oh, we've got to balance this party. You know, we've played Overwatch, and so we've got to balance Overwatch party. Now we need to balance it in D&D. Yep, same principle. So... They may already get it, and then that makes it just easier for you. It's like, well, okay, I'll play the cleric, and I'll play the fighter, and you know, I'll be the rogue. So, do you, so what would you do then? If say you have real people, your yeah. two friends, and they're like, oh, do we really want to play D anD D? Will you be our dungeon master? Yes, yes, I will. Um, and you want to maybe bring in a couple more people to round out the group, yeah. regardless of what role. Now, let's talk about. You're thinking about this party and these actual people. Mm. Are you thinking about like? Personality? Are you thinking about like who's going to get along with who? Who's yeah. going to? Who do you think would? Or yeah. Is that important if they're just playing fantasy characters? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I have all kinds of friends from all kinds of with all kinds of different tastes, and um, some of my friends are you know very irreverent and very like crass and blue. You know, like they're just like they say whatever comes out of their mouth, and and when I'm playing with those friends, like. It's just we're all in tears, laughing, and it, there's the story just goes out the window, and it's a big old mess, and but it's hilarious, and it's so much fun, and there's no censoring at all. Then there's another group of friends that are more like, 
we want a story. Like mm-hmm. we want to play D and D the way you know we envision it, and we want this, I, you know, this this story that moves along, and we kind of want to have that Lord of the Rings feel or this this vibe that we, you know, we're going from point A to point B, and it, everything matters. Whereas if I was to mix those things together, one person just like I don't care about the story. I'm just going to hit stuff. I'm right. going to be like, woohoo, Leroy Jenkins. You know, I'm just going to wreck your plans. Like. Because they're just having fun and letting off steam after a hard day of work. Whereas the other, the other, the other kind of group, they just they really want to enjoy the story. And then there's people that you know, they might be very sensitive to certain issues or certain ways of you know talking and all that. And then that's a whole other thing that okay, well, I'm definitely not going to put these two people together because somebody's going to get offended and it's not going to be yeah. a good scene. So depending on your range of friends. Um, Kind of take that into account. Also, if you're like DMing at a convention, if you're just yeah. gonna if you're just gonna do that, then always, you know, I always err on the side of, you know, being very sensitive and very careful with you know what what I say and how the you know what kinds of situations I put people in. You know, some people get you know like some things are very uncomfortable, and you can say that up front. You know, just be like if you're at a table with some people you don't really know that well, you can say, okay, what's everybody comfortable with? Is everybody uncomfortable with? Uh, you know, violence, you know, right. like really hardcore violence or like, is everybody uncomfortable with swearing? You know, what, what kind of things? And, and, you know, some people will be like, oh yeah, you know, I just don't really like that or I don't really like this. And that's cool. And that's part of, you know, D and D is just like, what's everybody cool with? What kind of story do you want to hear? Yeah. And, um, you know, what kind of thing do you want to play? It's like, some people are like right up. They're just like, we want to hack and slash, you know, we want to just get treasure and kill monsters. I'm like, all right, cool. We'll do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where those safety tools can also come into play a lot. Like yeah. A lot of people are using them in yeah. their um, tabletop games to, mm-hmm. like, you know, just have give everybody a, a means to express, I'm uncomfortable with this. Yeah, without, sure. you know, like making it like a big scene, yeah. just like the X card or whatever. Or t- like you said, like talking about it in advance. So yeah. those are, yeah, it's those are there good. for a reason. Yeah. Yep. Um, do you do session zeros? Do you do you have tactics that you? Um, we did actually a whole um, segment about session zeros. Yeah, but do yeah. you do you do anything like have the characters? Oh sure. Behind the scenes, like come up with some way that they know each other. Or yeah. Whatever. There's been you know um, it. I, I remember with uh, one group, I did a thing where I already had backstories figured out for all their characters. You and came up with the backstories? Yeah, well, it wasn't like their whole backstory, but it was like a mystery that, that um, like one character, I said, you know, your character has been having this reoccurring dream that's been going on oh, over and over cool. again. And they're like, what is this? And another character, I was like, you... Um, you know, there's this there's this person who's been following you and you've just been, you know, catching them out of the corner of your eye and and you don't know who they are and they've been, you know, it's like so I've been I thread in these things um to their character as they begin their adventure. So not only do they have what they think of their character's backstory, but then I've given them a mystery about their character. And in some cases, like I've I've known that that's something that I'm going to pay off because I have an idea of what that what that mystery person is who's following them. In some cases, I have no idea what that is, just, and I let them start to invent. Oh yeah, who that person? They're is. paranoia. Is yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yes. Oh, I like that. Yeah, like so, you've basically given them a story hook. Yeah, I just put. It's almost like a little grain of sand I put yep. into their clamshell of the head, and they start making a pearl out of that thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and then at the end, they're like. 
I think I knew who that is because my mother was the, you know, princess of this one place and she was, you know, and they have this backstory in their head and they're trying to fit in this mystery that I've put into their, and I just let them work at it. That's and really it's, cool. It's a lot of fun, you Th- know. That takes a little, little pressure off the dungeon master too. Sure. I, yeah. I, I can give you the nugget, but oh man, I have to figure out how that, that all goes together. Yep. Uh. One thing I remember I said this at one panel and I forget what it was, maybe it was Emerald City Con or something, but I said to somebody that being a DM is, the main thing is to be comfortable with the unknown. Like, there's a feeling of when first starting out being a dungeon master that you have to know everything. You have to know everything that, that's in that the was, book. What was yep. part of my problem? And it becomes overwhelming. It's yep. like, oh, I've got to know everybody's backstory, but I know. It's like, nope, you don't have to know everything. You, in fact, the more you DM, the less you need to know, and the more comfortable you are with just letting things evolve mm-hmm. and going way off course and growing into new t- territories. I think the only thing is knowing when to just kind of nudge things. It's almost like making an omelet. <laughs> it's like when the egg just kind of spreads everywhere and you just kind of tuck it in at the edges and kind of move it together and then slowly then you can flip that thing over and then you, you've got it where, you know, I think the first, you know, sort of impulse is to control everything. Yes. And it's a lot of pressure. Um, and then, but, but as you go on, it's just like let go of that and enjoy not knowing how the story is going to unfold and enjoy not knowing where this thing that you've created is going to pay off because it will, it, it'll pay off. And if every time I've allowed something to just evolve, it pays off in a way that's better than I could have imagined it. Instead of trying to control yeah. it. Yeah. Because you're actually using other, the, the player's brains, you're kind of co-creating, you're using everybody's brain to kind of generate the story. Mm-hmm. And when you allow what you're thinking to then be influenced by your players, you're, almost you're giving them exactly what they want. So I think part of my hang-up with dungeon mastering is because of how I was introduced to D&D. Yeah. And, like, no no fault of this person, but the, my first dungeon master, I feel like there was, like, it felt more like us against him. Yeah, yeah. And that this is, like, his world, mm-hmm. and he's gonna try to kill us because it always <laughs> just felt very adversarial. That like yeah, we're yeah. running for our lives. Mm-hmm. That we didn't always have a lot of creative freedom. There was it wasn't like we didn't have backstory. I made up a backstory. Sure, just, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> how can I not? But um, it wasn't like a lot of connections between the players. It was still it was really fun. I yeah. loved it, but I didn't know any better yeah. until. My second dungeon master, who was completely the opposite, mm. but I still was like coming at him, like, "Well, why are you? What, why do you want me to go through that door?" And he was like, "Basically, because I'm trying to help you tell a story. Like, I don't know why you're so paranoid all the time." Yeah. And I was always like, "Oh, I think he's trying to kill me." And he would always like finally like explain, like, "It is not my job to kill your character. I I get nothing from that. I don't want to do that." And so I think I don't know. Like I've always had. Um, this, I have to keep reminding myself, like, we're all part of the story. Yeah. And that as a, a dungeon master, you do want the players to contribute to it. And just as, you know, you were saying, it's okay not to know where the story's going. Yeah. They don't know where it's going. Yeah. And that's the fun of it. Yes. Yeah, So you totally do fun. have to just kind of oh, let go of that. You do. Yeah, let go of it. And then there's two different ways that I dungeon master. Like, one is, I, I call it dungeon mastering as nature. 
where I'm completely impartial and I'm just like, here's what the monster would do in this situation. And a lot of the times I will roll outside of my dungeon master screen. Like a lot of times we're always oh, you rolling. Do? Yeah, because that way it absolves me of all guilt. Oh. I'm like, you got three hit points, here comes the damage. And I roll it out so everybody can see it. So it's like, I had nothing right. to do with that right. roll. But if I roll it behind, there might be a little person inside their head that says, like, how do you did that to me? Yep. Like, you know, you dungeon master. So when I roll outside, it's like I become nature. I become like, well, you swam with the great white shark and you got eaten or right. you got bitten. Like, yeah. hey, tough, tough deal. Uh, don't, don't shoot the messenger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. And then there's another way I DM, which is kind of doing it like a cinematic. There's, there was a role-playing game called Hong Kong Action Theater a long time ago. And it was I loved it because the whole part of it was is, is, is actually you were playing an actor in a movie. And the, the adventure was a movie. And so you're, it was kind of a little meta thing. And so your character was an actor, and they were trying to get top billing as the Hong oh Kong action hero. So the crazier things you did in the movie... Oh, I like that. ...the better you did. And so if your character died, it just me- meant you got written out of the movie, and so then your character got less star power points. And it was a cool like thing. But the, the deal was is that it was cinematic and there was no chance of death. If you died, you just died in the movie and you were written out of the script. It's like waking up from a dream on a soap opera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so that's another way to play it where I'm like, death isn't going to be a problem here. We're just going to tell a story. If you die, you get knocked out and you wake up and now you're in a bigger predicament. You know, And everybody kind of knows that. Like, If players aren't cool with dying, like they're just like, ah, I rolled this character up. I love it. Yeah. I don't want to die. I just want to have this movie experience. Then that's cool. Then we have that sort of agreement. And then then there is no death, but it can be a drag. Like you can... For sure. You know. Especially for a new player, that maybe is like, this is yeah. my first time playing Dungeons yeah. & Dragons. Oh, I'm dead. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, death is tough to deal with because some people, like, you know, get really broken up about it. And so yes. you, you don't want that experience. So No. Yeah. So this is will be a, a timely um, question because um, Greg and I are we're playing D and D tonight. Awesome! And we are teaching. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess we're all teaching mm. two people, two new people. Oh, cool! Um, my son's best friend's mom and <laughs> his stepdad. So <laughs> she owns awesome. she owns the the daycare and after school program that Quinn has basically grown up in. Oh. So she's like. You know, an educator and mm. like the philosophy behind how she runs her school is like everything's very play based. Oh, cool. So she's always been really intrigued by the idea of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but she's also very type A and very pragmatic. And I'm just, <laughs> I just, you know, she's going to be like, so how exactly how would someone cast a spell? Like, I don't know, or maybe not. I'm just curious. But she did say that she was. She's nervous. Yeah. She's nervous to for the game, even though she's playing with we're all good friends. Um, and I, I guess I I would like tips, even though I'm not the dungeon master tonight. But just how to make the new people feel comfortable. Yeah. With D and D, not pushing them to mm. do like usually it's the role playing that kind of scares yeah. people. Yeah. And like how to get them to like feel comfortable with their character and. Not worry about the rules. Just yeah. don't worry. We're going to tell you when to roll dice and what yeah. dice to roll. How to get them into the story, though? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I mean, one thing I do is I set the bar as to how much of a goofball you can be. You know, I don't want to do it to the point where somebody be uncomfortable, like I'm just like, ah. Right. But the idea that I start off being like talking in a silly voice, like, oh, my guys look really tough and he does talk like this, you know, like, and and then, you know, when it comes to my turn, instead of saying, my character does this, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. It, then being like, you know, Redegar jumps into the cauldron and slides down the hill and he screams like, hallelujah, and he's got both his scimitars <laughs> out, you know, like, and and show them through, you know, just my own actions and, and also my lack of sort of self like concern, like right. oh, I'm looking foolish, or I'm oh, I'm so you know worried about how I appear. I like let all that go, and I just have fun, you know, just like acting silly and crazy. And then they get this sense of like, okay, there's the bar, mm-hmm. you know. Now I can play around in this area, but the bar has been set way up here as to like letting go of my own sort of like self importance or my own sort of concern about how I look. And and now they're comfortable in this thing. So, but if I kind of come in in a timid way, yeah, then now they've got a less of a place to play in, and they're sort of like, well, he's a little nervous, so geez, I guess I should be right. really nervous. So, or like maybe they might think, oh, I thought people were way more flamboyant and more. They like, may, you know, and yeah. but if you're like down yeah. a peg, then they wouldn't feel comfortable going above. Yeah, because you're going to, oh, yeah. in this situation that you're in, you're you're coming in as an authority. You know, they're, they're going to look at you and like, this is Shelly's the way to play D&D. You know, you've got to But I don't want to make it like too theatrical where they're going to be like, I could never do that. And now I hate Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> like, I want to find that. I guess sure. like with enough of us playing, because Bart's also going to play. And, yeah. and I think Bart's a really good balance where he, yeah. he's like, he's into it. He'll be like, I'm going to like swing across the chandelier and do this thing. Yeah. Does it work? Yeah. And, and like, but not necessarily. He's like doesn't do a voice and, and doesn't you know flapper. Flapper. <laughs> yeah, flapper would be great to bring new people in. Yeah. I yeah. should have played flapper. <laughs> but I, yeah, it's it's being comfortable just playing the way you play. Yeah. And then you know people will see that, and I, I think it's you know why Critical Role has been such a great success and good for us because. They're just demonstrating like high level character yeah. embodiment and a high level way of playing the game. And I guess high level is the wrong way to put it because there is no sort of like this is the right way to play D and D and this is the wrong way. It's like right. you can play any way you want and and it's all good as long as you're having fun. And if people are having fun, you're playing D and D, you know? So if you uh notice like maybe these new people are a little bit intimidated to like insert themselves in like the store. Like we're all in town and we're interacting with, you know, the people in the yeah. tavern or something. Do you have ways to like bring them in? I mean, I suppose I guess you could just be like, okay, so the bartender comes up to you, yeah. new person, yeah. and asks you this question and kind of forces them to interact. Like are yeah. are there ways to make them like get engaged, even if like, you know, they're not gonna do a voice and they're not gonna yeah. but Yeah, there's totally ways to get them involved. And I think, you know, this when I'm doing this with somebody else, like I kind of gauge what their nervous level is, how, yeah. how, and because sometimes if I'm like, the bartender comes over and says, "Hey, you know, what do you, what are you doing?" and what do you, and then and then they're like put on the spot and they're like freeze. Right. So generally, if they're if they're pretty nervous, what I'll do is just say, "Okay, so there's a bartender 
and the bartender is going to come over and ask you something, and then now your character can respond in any number of ways they want. Right. And you can think about it from the perspective of your character and think, well, what would my character do? Because mm-hmm. there's what would I do, right. a player, but then what would my character do? And they're two different things. So it's trying to push them out of that playing in a meta way where they're like, oh, I'm thinking now what my character does. Like, so it's to push them slowly into embodying the role of their character just by gently sort of prompting them. Like, okay, think about what your character would say. And, you know, you know your character's backstory. And so now here comes this bartender and they're scowling at you because you're in their bar, you know, and they haven't seen you before. So now from your character's point of view, what would your character do? Right. And then they might be like, oh, uh, I guess my character, well, they don't take kindly to that kind of thing. You know, they, they might actually, you know, push, can I push the bartender? Like some people don't even know what they can do. Right, yeah. You know, because they're, they're, you know, it's the weird thing is that um, I remember, you know, playing D&D with people and then once that moment they realized like I can do Anything yeah. like I could, I could go over and grab the deer head off the wall and throw it out the window if I wanted to. Like I can do anything. Yeah. And then once they get that, they're like, oh, oh, oh. and then that's when the doors open, you know, and they realize like this blows away any video game that's out there because in a video game I can only interact with the objects I'm allowed to interact with. I can only say the dialogue that I'm allowed to say. In D&D, that's all off. You can say whatever you want, do whatever you want, interact with whatever you want, and even make stuff up. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I remember, like, I used to love, like, those pick-a-path books. When oh, I was yeah, little. yeah. So, um, I remember thinking, like, this is amazing. <laughs> I have a choice between A and B. Yeah, yeah. And then you think about D&D, and it's like, you know, you, like, there's no A and B here. No. It's like infinity yeah it is <laughs> you can do all of that plus infinity yeah yeah and and the, it, it, you know new players are like you know i would imagine like taking a cat and when you first like let it out of the cage and it's in a football field like oh, it's yeah. just like what yes. what like ah like get me back into my little like little cage like it's that sensation of there's too many options so it's sort of like coaxing a new player into that realm where it's like anything you think can come true here like yeah. I'll describe the room like all you've got to do is, and it's it's a lot of it's asking questions yeah. like as a DM asking the person like well what would your character do what do they think about that um, you know you can do this 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 or this but you can also make up something that you want like if you really want something to happen if you really want there to be a chandelier in this you know, uh, tavern for you to grab and swing on, you know, like Yari. <laughs> right. You can do that. Like, let's let's make that happen, you know. And I think that's when, the you know, the light bulbs start going off. Yeah. The cat analogy is actually a really good one. Yeah, I grew I up can, with cats. <laughs> I can picture the cat, like, you know, when they start to get, like, okay, okay, the, yeah. the, uh, nothing's moving, I'm okay. And then they start, like, tiptoeing around yeah. and, like, start exploring, like, a yep. real small corner. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really good analogy for, like, how a new player would approach <laughs> yeah. Dungeons and & Dragons. Um, so I think some of what you said can probably answer this question as well. But keeping your motivation and your energy level up as a dungeon master yeah. when you're playing, if your players aren't, like, giving you a lot to work with... Or yeah. they're not really giving you a lot of feedback, or yeah. they're not contributor, or they're all kind of like looking at each other and like you, you probably should talk to that person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
there's a couple things. I mean, one is um, it's well, the one is is being okay with the unknown. I think the more we're as dungeon masters, the more we're not okay with the unknown. The more we're not okay with like then it's, it's like there's a resistance and that will burn up energy. So, you know, we have a bank account of energy <laughs> as right. a dungeon master. And the more we're in resistance, more we're in worrying, the more we're in like, oh, it's not going the way I want it to go and all that kind of stuff, the more we're burning through that bank account of energy. Yes. So that has to be set aside. So it's kind of like a, there's like a Zen <laughs> component of being a really good dungeon master is, Going with the flow, allowing things to happen as they are. If there's silence, if if players are just talking amongst themselves, being okay with that, not feeling oh, like yeah. you have to push on the story, because part of D and D is just people hanging out together and chatting, and you know maybe the conversation will drift off a little bit from the game. But as long as there is a feeling um, that I think we learn over time that is like you know when it's kind of dispersing and going off and people are kind of losing, especially the dreaded looking at the cell phone. Like, generally I'll be like, turn off your cell phones, get rid of them, unless I'm going to use them in a game to like text message people. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, sometimes I'll have a, a series of text messages banked up already and at a certain moment I'll just hit send. And so, yeah, you can pre-write all your text messages out then just then just send them to your friends. That's- Amazing. So I'll be like, yeah, the ghost comes to you and then bing, and they get a text message. I'm like, read it. And they're like, oh my God, it just said that. And like, what? And everybody else is like, what? What's going on? So cell phones can be good, but they can also be a distraction if you've got chronic cell phone flippers. So, um, but one of the basic ways you can get people back is just to throw in a combat. That's what I was just going to yep. say. Do you just make them fight? <laughs> yeah, you can just, if they're all like sitting in the room and they're dawdling, they're wondering yeah. what to do, you're just like, all right, you know, an ogre kicks in the door and like, what now? What are you going to do? He like takes a swing. Now you got to pay attention. Yeah, and then everybody's like, oh my gosh. Um, the other thing is just um, group size. Like if you're a new dungeon master, you probably want two to three players. Oh, interesting. You yeah, know, I never even small. asked that question. Yeah, keep it small. Um, you know, you start getting over four players, and then it starts getting, like, people are waiting for their turn. And then when people, especially new players, when they're waiting for their turn, some are good. I mean, some players are, like, engaged with what other players are doing, and they care about what, did you hit? Oh, that was an awesome hit. Or, like, oh, did you, did you jump over the chasm? Great. You know, now, now I know what my character is doing. And then other people have a hard time staying engaged with the story. And, it, like, if my character's not doing anything, then I'm checking out kind of deal. Like, yeah. Or whatever. But, and so with those players, you'll have a session with them, and then you'll, you'll kind of determine which players are, are engaged, even if it isn't their turn, and then which players aren't engaged on their turn. And the players who aren't engaged on their turn, then it's like the bonus points are to give those players something to chew on when it's not their turn, like, oh. um, like uh, there's a combat going over here, but then all of a sudden there's a fire over here, and so on your off turn, what are you going to do about the fire? And then they're like, "Oh, I'm putting out the thing," or, or you can, uh, while somebody's turn is happening, you can get that person to go like, "Okay, what's your character doing right now?" Just even asking them that question, they're yeah. like, "Oh, uh, I'm going to be hiding over there." Okay, so when it's your turn, we'll we'll do that, and so it's just kind oh, of yeah. checking in with them. That's really good. Yeah, yeah just them. making them 
th- think about their next turn. Yep. Calling on it's like getting called on in class. Yeah. Like oh god, I was daydreaming. I don't know. Yeah. Can you repeat the question? So, Nobody wants to get busted. Yeah, and uh, I mean there was a like I mean I taught martial arts for a bit for this, this little kids class. And there was a little kid who was a there was like some little kids you could just tell them to do the thing and then they were awesome and they did it and they paid attention and then there were other kids that were just kind of goofing off oh, goofballs. Yeah. So I was like this one kid and I was like oh, how do I deal with how to get through this kid? And what I did was I he was pretty good you know like he learned and I and I thought I thought hey can you teach this other kid how to do that? And he was like okay. Oh my god! And it was like he of course. Being the goofball kid, nobody had ever asked him to be responsible. Yes, and I did that, and he became this other human being. <laughs> like it was See, amazing. He just wanted responsibility. He just wanted response. So sometimes you can take a person who's not engaged and be like, "Hey, can you tell teach them how to do that?" Or find a way to engage them back into fold them back into the story or into just helping their you know you know mm-hmm. other player if they're if they know D anD D a bit. It's like finding a way to engage that person's mind. Yeah. To keep them involved. That's really good. So, yeah. Wes also talked about, um, like, how to use players as resources. Mm. And I think that that's oh, yeah. a really, that's a good idea, too. I, we didn't speak about it in the context of them being disengaged. Yeah. But I think a lot of those tactics he talked about are perfect yeah. also for this, too. So, this was a question that came up on Twitter. Oh, okay. like. um, and I thought it was interesting. Do you allow player to player interactions? And they gave an example. Say that the can the bard talk the fighter into doing something that the fighter didn't want their character to do? Would you let that happen? Um yeah, well, okay, so if you had uh, a bard and a fighter, it depends. Like first of all, if the players themselves are friends and they're amenable to that kind mm-hmm. of a thing, then totally I would allow it. And then I would say, you know, does your character want to do this? Or are they going to resist it? And if they resist it, then I'd say, all right, Bard, you're going to have to make like an intimidation oh, okay. or a persuasion check. And then they would have to actually roll it and, and, and then role play it out. Um, if, if the players are like, I don't want my character doing something that I don't want, then I'd just be like, all right, you know, we're just not going to have that on the table because, you know, don't want to create sort of, Conflicts between players, yeah, you know, because then you get meta conflict, and that's just no fun. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'd let it happen if if if, if they were amendable. Yeah, if they, if they if they grooved with it and the, and because it could be fun, you know, because yeah, it kind of creates I think this, so. this fun little party deal. So how I guess that brings up another topic about saying no. Yeah. How do you say no to your players? When do you say no? Is it to kind of like if they seem comfortable with it, but you're like, eh, I don't want to do that. Is it a no or? Um, generally I, most of the time I'm saying yes to what they want to do. Um, just because at the end of the day, um, happy players mean you get the next game, you know? So if you've got players who had fun and they got to do the cool thing that they wanted to do, then they're going to come back next week and they're going to be, you know, super jazzed and they're going to be talking about it. Um, that being said, there are times when no is a good thing. Um, and it's that if everything's so easy and everything comes really you know, easy to the players, then there's no sense of danger and no sense of like, accomplishment and no sense of that they figured, you know, figured a cool thing out. And yeah. so, um, but then you know, there's also different kinds of no's like um, you know, 
stop doing that. You know, if somebody's talking over somebody, you know, it's like then you, as a dungeon master, you kind of have to control that kind of stuff. Like, um, or if one player tells another player how to play their character a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super bad. So you have to kind of put in check to that. And um, so what I'll do is be like, oh, no, no, like if somebody's like, hey, no, you should attack with your this because that does more. And I'll be like, no, 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 that they can do whatever they want. Yeah. yeah like, you, and then I just turn to them and be like, you just do how, play your character however you want to play. Another thing is like some players get nervous, like, what do I do? You know, do I yeah. do this? Is that, is that good? And they're asking other players. That's fine to a degree. But at the end of the day, um, I want to empower that person to be confident with their own player because there's this, this is sort of my own philosophy and my own observation is that D&D helps people through playing their character in a certain way and learning how to be um, like assertive or um, you know heroic or to feel confident when they play it through their character, their brain doesn't know the difference between that character and then a real life situation. We, we actually were we we would talk about that in the interview oh. on this okay. on this episode. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that that vibe um, when a when a player is having trouble vocalizing what their character is doing or being assertive in the combat or making a choice or a decision, I want to encourage that person to do that on their own without help from other people. Um, at first, that's fine, but ultimately, if I just see it as it's something that they're doing, I'm, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, you are in control of your character. You get to say what your character does and feel confident in doing it. And then it's up to the rest of the players to band together and to support that person. Like, awesome choice. Yeah. You know, even if they, you know, tried to do something cool and they failed and it woke up all the ogres and everybody came and attacked. And it was a big mess. It's like, awesome. That was great. Yep. What a that, cool story. Yeah. So that way, then they start to feel this sense of, I did, I did a thing, yeah. or you know, I saved the, I saved the, the party, or you know, I snuck around and got the key and came back, and I was successful, and now it's helped our whole party out, and I did that, my yeah. character did that, so um, that's important. So um, I often, as a player, am intimidated a lot when mm. some when it's like oh, I have to interact with. An NPC. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, I don't, I don't, what, what if I ask the wrong question? What if there's like a super obvious question I should ask and I yeah. don't know it because, oh, now I, I'm like an insecure, now it's like too much Shelly in my character yep. and I'm, ugh. Yeah. So I've, I can totally relate to those characters that are going to be like, what do I do? Like, what spell should I use? Because like, yeah. I always feel like everybody at the table knows more than I do. Yeah, yeah. Which is part of the problem with me being a dungeon master. Like, part of why I'm like, I don't want to DM because everybody knows more than I yeah. do and they're going to know when I screw up. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking that if you have an intimidated player, like an actual mm. person, yeah, and it, you want them to get some confidence, maybe you could stage an interaction between them and an NPC, sure. That like just goes really well <laughs> for the yeah. player. Like, yeah. oh, wow, you actually That's great. you actually got some information out of this person. And like, I don't know. Do you think that would work? Like, giving oh, yeah. them some little little tasks that are going to be like it's all right. It's not just like firing your bow and rolling your dice and see if you hit. Like, yeah, I can I can handle that. It's the interactions in the game that I I still get nervous about. Yeah, it's training wheels. You know, it's like T-ball. You know, yeah. you, you set the ball on the tee and, you know, you take a swing at it. And um, and it makes it easier. And then, then you start pitching them. Yeah. 
you know. So it, it definitely, I think that would work great. Okay. You know, it's like um, give them give them something easy, give them something to feel good about, or um, you know, if they're a fighter and they they're they're kind of timid, but they're they're it's like give them something to be berserk about. And and a lot of times, what I'll do is I'll find what the players care about in real life. Mm-hmm. So if I've got a player and, and she loves cats, and she's just like, I just love cats in real life, and I'm like, okay, good, check. Yeah. And then what I'll do is I'll have, you know, the villain and got a bunch of cats in cages. <gasps> and she'll be like, oh, you know, right. she's a fighter and she's usually pretty timid. But now she's playing, you know, a half-orc barbarian. And I'm like, this guy's got yes. all these cats in cages and it's just you and this guy. And he's like, come at me and I'll cut you, you know. And usually it'd be like, oh, but she's like, no, like, this is it. Yes. So I've given her something to, like, she feels... And then she's going to act through that, through this character, and then def- and then just annihilates the villain, you know, and then yeah. frees all the cats. And it's just like a super good feeling. Yep. You know, and then even like one of the cats is like, one of the cats comes and is like purrs and oh. sits on your shoulder. And now, can she keep it? Can she keep the totally cat? Totally. Keep the cat. <laughs> yep. So it's like. And now she has a familiar. Yep. Familiar. That's awesome. Yeah. Feel good. Yeah. You want your players to feel good. You want them yep. to feel confident. So I, I like those tactics. Yeah. Too. And so, for like, if you're starting your your players out, keep it really simple. Like that, just that scene I just described, super simple, and that could last. You know, the lead up to that point could be you know maybe fifteen minutes of twenty minutes of role playing, and then you have a combat uh, that could last maybe another fifteen minutes, and then you know the afterward where you're like. You know, you make friends with the cat. You've got your familiar, and then yeah. you've got, and then set up the next mission, and that's, you know, that's your your hour done, and and super fun, mm. very simple. And maybe this cat, it can like whisper to her, like, you should ask where the key is, <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Now I know what to talk about next time. Like, someone. One of these NPCs comes up to me. Yeah. Yes. Magical cat. I mean, it's kind of up to you. You're the dungeon master. Totally. totally. You're there to help them have fun. You're there to help move the story yeah. along. And you can make up the rules. Totally. You don't have to keep any of the rules. Even yep, if you you're a just... fighter, you can have a familiar if totally. the dungeon master wants you to. Yep. You can have a talking cat. Love it. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what? <laughs> Inspiration sparks again. Mm-hmm. I love this, <laughs> so Adam. Good. Thank you so much. My this pleasure. This has been immensely helpful, and you sound like a wonderful dungeon master. I've and had fun I would, doing it. I would like to play in one of your games. Okay. Okay. Let's play. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. Yay! Okay. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Shelly. It was a fun. Yep. I feel like you learned a lot during that segment. I did. What did you learn? How to manage my party. (laughs) And that Adam Lee is a great, great person to talk to. Pretty much about any topic. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. He is a uh, very kind individual and he wants to take care of his party and and have everyone succeed within it. A lot of those questions that we covered were um, questions that people from Twitter were asking. Oh. So... Even cooler. In the future, if you have questions about DMing, send them to me. We will. At Shelly Moe. And I'll, I'll, I probably have the same questions. That's great. Let's so, do it. We'll do that going forward. Yeah. I like that. Send them my way. Send them to Shelly. Send me a letter. And you guys can learn DMing together. 
Yes. It's a collaborative affair. Well, you know, some people have said, like, I think I might try DMing, and then they tell me how it went, and I feel like I'm part of this this journey with them. That's right. Yeah. We're doing what we always do on this podcast, which is lift, lift you up, up where we belong. Where the dungeon masters sit. <laughs> and the uh. rocks fly above. <laughs> R.O. seat in the U.S. <laughs> Potty in the elevator. Whoa. That's we a, say that every morning. To, to get... Potty, potty, potty in the elevator. Is that to get Quinn like up and ready for school? I, every time I like, go, before I go in the shower, I'm like, do you have to go potty? And then we both just immediately launch into potty, potty, potty in the elevator. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I go in the bathroom. Two minutes later... I gotta pee so bad. Mm. And it's Bart. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. He usually pees in the, the, the floor. <laughs> in the litter box. <laughs> I got him a nice little litter box. Because he's short shot. Pop, pop, pop. <laughs> I'm going to metagame tonight, and I am going to use my cat's litter box. I am all on board with that. Okay. Uh, and which reminds me, I need to pick up some allergy medication. So oh, I don't sorry. Die like Chris Perkins did. But you'll be brought back to life by puppy. Back to life. Back to reality. (laughs) (laughs) Let us get back to some fantasy. Yes. With some Brennan Lee Mulligan on the horn. Let's call him up. Bring. Bring. Let's welcome Brennan Lee Mulligan to Dragon Talk. Yay! Very exciting. Yeah. Oh, God. I can't believe it. Thank you guys so much for having me on your show. This is so cool. Thanks for being here. Very exciting. You are the Dungeon Master for Dimension 20. Yes. Uh, Dimension 20, an actual play show, College Humor's uh, uh, home actual play game. Um, uh, uh, We are in the middle of releasing a new side quest right now called Tiny Heist with the McElroys. We have Dimension 20 Live on uh, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Wait, no. Can you give all of your things you want to do, like, faster? You're not doing it fast um, okay. enough. Faster. Okay. <laughs> uh, Tiny Heist coming out on Thursdays with the McElroys. Uh, and Jess Ross and Lily Do playing, a College Humor uh, uh, alumni. Uh, we have uh, the... Uh, Earn! Live. <laughs> There's so Thank much. Thank you very I'm much. My little, my little Unsleeping City, which is our, our recent main nice. cast season. Repping T-shirts, the yes. How about it, gang? Um, That's so exciting, all that stuff. Uh, you know, you've been doing, you've been playing a Dungeon Master for a really long time, though. Like, this is, this is, this is like the pinnacle. This is like the top. But you started, you know, what's, what's that Drake song? You know, you started, uh, started, started at the bottom. Started from, from the, I would say, the, mi- the middle to bottom. Um, <laughs> uh, it's less dramatic, but yeah, started, started at near the middle is probably more, more accurate. Um, uh, but yeah, I've been playing D&D for 22 years. I've been playing since I was 10 years old. Um, and you know, if you had told, you know, I, I, you know, got my friends together when I was itty bitty and for my entire like teenage years would play, I, I had a full game Saturday and a full game Sunday and would play twice a week, every weekend for years and years and years. And, uh, if you had told youngster Brennan, like, Hey, in some amount of decades, you will be, um, doing this for a living. Um, young Brennan would probably have been forced to say, you're being really mean uh, to <laughs> say That's something. That's not a job. <laughs> That's not a job. How could I do that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's fully, uh, a, Dimension 20 is fully a dream come true uh, to turn this amazing game into a livelihood. It's, uh, uh, 
a source of good fortune for which I will never be able to be grateful. So what? how did it come? Sorry. No, you do it. Maybe it's the same question. It was. How did it, it come about? Was it something that you had pitched? So um, basically the story, uh, I've been playing D&D nonstop since I was a kid, right? Um, and at a certain point, you know, the, the creativity and skills that I started to learn playing D&D as a kid started to be applied to other stuff. I was the... the um, I was a writer for many years, uh, one of the lead story writers for a LARPing summer camp called the Wayfinder Experience. Amazing. I later, uh, you know, later in my 20s, I uh, uh, started performing and teaching at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which is an improv and sketch comedy theater, doing improv there. And, you know, taking these skills that I've learned from D&D and applying them to other places. And eventually that UCB thread led to being employed at College Humor right at a time when College Humor was looking to vastly accelerate the amount of content they were creating for this new streaming service called Dropout. Um, And, you know, right when I got hired as a cast member, they were basically like, pitch any kind of show you want to make. And, you know, being the biggest D&D nerd in the world, I, of course, had listened to Adventure Zone, and I was watching Critical <laughs> Role, and there were so many great actual play things out there. And I was like, well, you know, if we have all these comedians and we want to try to do a funny actual play, here's, I started writing a treatment for it. And halfway through writing a treatment for what that show would look like, I got called by Adam Frucci, our, at the time head of development, in his office. And he was like, hey, sorry to interrupt you while you're writing. How do you feel about doing an actual play show? And I was like, Oh, get look! Turn my computer around. I'm writing it right now. I'm doing it. Uh, uh, th- what synchronicity? Um, That's and so cool. That's I love when those things happen. It doesn't happen that often. No, it doesn't at all. I mean, it was this very fortuitous thing to be at a company, and and kind of the reason I was at College Humor was because of this career trajectory that had gone through UCB, which is a big theater system for a lot of comedy media companies and you know to get there and then have them be like you know it's very funny i think of back when i was a kid and my you know mom saying an encouraging thing about D where she was like you know the best thing bren is you'll be able to apply these skills <laughs> to whatever you end up doing professionally what? she said and that? then yeah, she was like, you know, but of course the, 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 the implication there is like, you know, dungeon mastering, it's improv and it's creativity and it's leadership and you're doing all the, you know, wh- whatever you do end up doing, right. not d right. will benefit from this. Check it out, mom. Very little lost in translation. Almost exactly the skill set. Wow. <laughs> right? um, Your mom was a trendsetter though. I know. Like, that was not I'm, really the case in I'm the, in the really, early 90s. I'm impressed that like she... Did she play D anD D? Because like she, for her to like to know and understand all of those tenets of the game and how like they help so, people, like that's so actually my, a fact. And those are our talking points yes. now. <laughs> Does your mom need like, a job? Can we hire her? Yeah. <laughs> Please, well, oh, you you truly, truly should. My mom's name is Elaine Lee, and she's <laughs> the coolest. She's she's a uh, comic book writer. She wrote oh, no a series of. <laughs> 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 writing comic books? That's just uh, crazy. You just killed Shane. I have, yeah, I have an extremely dope mom. Her name's Elaine Lee. She wrote a series of graphic novels called Starstruck and a bunch of other titles. And when I was 10 years old, she basically, you know, in, in the way that a lot of good parents do, where, you know, I, I had just gone, I had had a hard time in school. It was a big problem getting bullied. 
And she was like, you know, I got this, you know, nerdy kid who I'm trying to find something for. And she, of course, had known a bunch of D&D players. She'd been in, like, the comic book convention spaces for a long time. And she put up a little, you know, flyer in, a, in like, a, our local game store. Shout out to LGSs. And it was in New Paltz, New York. Oh, um, I almost went to school there. Oh, really? SUNY New Paltz. Yes. Big old college town, right? <laughs> SUNY New Paltz is great. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm a SUNY Ulster alum myself, which oh, is a little nice. bit down the road. Um, and uh, found me a game when I was 10 years old with some people that were already playing that were a little bit older. They were kind enough to like take a, a kid under their wing and teach me how to play the game. And then after a little while there, I was like, I think I could teach my other, like my little 10-year-old friends how to do this. Um, and we were off to the races, but it was, uh, you know, all props to mom. She was the one who was like, nice. I think this game would be good for you. And this is second edition. This is back in... Thacko. Yeah. Thacko, baby, to hit armor class zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout that, out. That's, shout out to deeply non-intuitive systems. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Negatives are good, right? Negatives are good. You want to have a weird grid that you have to slide along to be able to, you a little prefab uh, thing to figure out if you hit or not. Yeah. Um, that's, and that's, I mean, shout out to your mom too. Like way to go, Elaine Lee, Elaine for, Lee. For, for being prescient enough to see the benefits that a game yes. like this could have for a child. I mean, it wasn't that far out from, you know, the, 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 the 2020 story in the 80s about how it was, you know, causing this moral panic. Oh, for sure. Well, my mom, you know, w- had been involved in like cool Celtic scholarhood, neo-pagan circles for a so while. she knew. She knew. My mom was about as far from, you know, chick tracks and the satanic panic as you could possibly be. Um, she was like, I think growing up, I had a big book that was right at eye level for little Brennan that was like right next to the Carmina Gadelica, which is like old Irish Celtic prayer songs uh, there was also a thing called the glossary of fallen angels so we were Ooh, right in the nice. <laughs> we were right in the money and um, <laughs> you were the target audience is that what you're trying to say <laughs> oh yeah i'm the full demographic uh uh but you know the we were just voracious my brothers and i were just voracious for this game both you know, we started designing our own settings right away. But this was also the time period where uh, Planescape was huge. The mm. Dieter Lizzy box sets for Planescape. This so beautiful. Some deep cut stuff. But, oh, man, did Planescape just light a fire in our brain. This idea of, like, adventures in the Outer Planes and D&D's cosmology. Uh, uh, man, we played so much Planescape. Back That's so today. cool. Yeah, and then especially if you're in that, you know, that that vein of talking about theology and and, and moral philosophy and what that means, you know, just being an embodiment in those planes. Oh I think so God. many people just really latch on to 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 that and, and inspired well, people decades to come. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, the, I was at SUNY Ulster. I was a, like a philosophy humanities major. Like, so to me, the idea of plane, yeah, this like the outer wheel and having this deep exploration of alignment and like ethics made physical through the petitioners and beings of the outer planes. I could wax philosophical about how cool Planescape is all day, every day, uh, uh, a deeply exciting setting. So let's do Um, that. No, let's just, (laughs) (laughs) we're going to be promoting an out of print. (laughs) Different podcast. Yeah. We'll we'll lean into it for sure. Um, But I have a confession to make to you. And that is when I started hearing about uh, Dimension 20, 
I, for some reason, assumed that it was using a different uh, role-playing game system because the visual look was so different from what uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was doing at the time that, and and the, the the themes and things that were going on, it seemed in Dimension Twenty, just seemed like oh, he was using like Fate Core or something like that. I just I just kind of assumed, um, so I didn't latch onto it at, like so many people were telling me to because I was like oh okay well you know that's up to those systems to 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 talk to to Brennan about. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then I found out you've been using Fifth Edition this whole time, and I am sorry for that for <laughs> the oversight for never going that extra step and, and jumping into it because so many listen. people I know right I'm going to um, and so for 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 folks who may not know uh, about what makes Dimension 20 unique what what is it that you think that that sets it apart so much so that it looks so different from, from, okay. from an outsider so so for people that are watching this who are like who the hell is this guy what is Dimension 20 Dimension 20 is an anthology actual play series where we have our awesome core cast, which is Brian Murphy, and it's a bunch of college humor people. It's Brian Murphy and Emily Axford that you guys would know from Nad Pod, not another D&D podcast. Siobhan Thompson, Zach Oyama, Ali Beardsley, and Lou Wilson, who are our core cast. We've shot three seasons. Season, uh, the third season we shot with them hasn't been released yet, but the first two, the very first season we released is called uh, Dimension 20 Fantasy High. And basically, it's set at a place called the uh, Egg Fort Adventuring Academy. And the whole thing is it's a high school breakfast club meets high fantasy. So you have the half-elven fighter who's like the jock. You've got the prep school elven wizard. You've got the punk rock bad girl tiefling bard with the bass guitar. You know, all these like high school it's a, you know, all of our like 1980s John Hughes-esque high school world mashup with uh, uh, high fantasy D&D adventuring. So, you know, there's like a fight in the cafeteria against a corn, a creamed corn ooze. There's, oh. like, a ha- there's like a house party fight. There's a fight at a, um, uh, uh, you know, there's, I don't want to give any spoilers, but basically it is... Uh, 5th edition D&D, but played in this world that's a lot like, you know, Evanston, Illinois, circa mid-1980s, right? Um, and the next season we did that I'm wearing the shirt for right now is called The Unsleeping City, which is basically like a secret hidden world of magic in New York. So we have the, pa- the group's paladin is a New York City firefighter with a magical axe. Um, there's a, uh, uh, a Broadway diva who's a college of lore bard. Who's like an Elaine stretch, uh, you know, so, so um, and, uh, and then we've done a bunch of fun side quests where we have guest players. So we did a thing called escape from the blood key that had our guest players were Matt Mercer, Erica Ishii, uh, uh, Amy Vorpal, Ify Wadiwe. And then we had Rekha Shankar and Mike Trapp from college and we're playing and escape from the blood keep is all it's set in a very Middle Earth type world, right after the one crown has been destroyed. And basically, it's all the bad guys being like, We're about to win. And then go, you know, all their shit blows up and they go, Oh God, what do we do? <laughs> now what? Uh, <laughs> now what? Uh, so it's a very funny parody of like what a bunch of high level bad guys do right at the moment that they've lost. Mm. Um, and then we're doing a side quest right now with the McElroys called Tiny Heist, which is a mashup of like a borrowers-esque, Bugs Life-esque tiny world in the backyard meets Ocean's Eleven. 
So it's like a gritty heist movie with tiny little one-inch people. And in all of these worlds, we're using 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons as the system. And it's the most fun in the world. You know, the, the, um, the big thing I would say about Dimension 20, I know I've been rattling off all these campaign worlds that we're in, but we do, you know, our, our longest campaigns are like 17 episodes, about two hours an episode. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about 30 to 34 hour long story arcs that are very satisfying, but very contained. And this idea of taking D&D and, and being like, what are all the different worlds we can visit and use this system to bring to life? Um, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool because it's like this different take. I mean, most most people when we play Dungeons and Dragons, you're in the fantasy realm and you stay there. Um, and you have done this, you know, with with all these concepts, you know, mashing up more pop culture type things and setting it in not necessarily our world, but closer to our world than most D and D games are played. And uh, again, that's part of one of the reasons why I'm like, oh, that's not us. Uh, but then now I'm like, oh gosh, now it opens up the doors to so many other different fun stories that that folks can play uh, that doesn't need to have like modern D20 kind of rules to it. You can still make it more, more, more fantasy. Yeah. Um, that has been really fun for us to explore. And uh, there are a lot of very smart people who articulate very well online, you know, the, the sort of strengths of, uh, different systems to tell different kind of stories. And I would never disagree with the kind of philosophical point that a lot of those people are trying to make. And obviously, D&D has a tremendous amount of lore set in high fantasy worlds. But I've been playing D&D for a long time, and D&D does have some flex in the genres it can create. Ravenloft is gothic horror. Dark Sun, you know, you have Athos, which is like a very apocalyptic desert, almost like a kind of fantasy Mad Max kind of world, right? Yeah. There's, a, there's a, a lot of give. And I think one of the... I have taken a very different uh, perspective on what D&D is able to do. Some people look at D&D and say, this is for high fantasy gaming. That's what it's built to do. As someone who <laughs> loves this game with all my heart and has been playing it for a long, long time, um, I, my take is very different. I look at the mechanics of the game. You look at Paladin and Cleric and Wizard and all that stuff, and you go, these are great, intuitive. It's, a, it's an incredibly designed game. It's really fun. And how much of the mechanics actually depend on a given flavor? Because I'm pretty sure you can play a wizard and a paladin in New York City. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you can. Yeah. And if you do, it just creates a really fun flavor for that world and that game. So, you know, that's been my philosophy uh, uh, going into these different seasons. And, um, you know, the magic continues even if the genre changes. I got to say, I'm kind of obsessed with playing in New York City. <laughs> I really a, love that. Like, the, I, my, the wheels are turning here. Like, but I'm curious, like, when you're designing or this world or creating this world, like, what the difference is for you because you've created many just pure fantasy worlds versus mm-hmm. creating a fantasy world that's based on a real world. Like, how, many, how much of the real world elements do you pull in and, like, is there a balance and like, how do you do that? So one of the things we wanted to do with Unsleeping City was 
I didn't want it to be a a sort of like alternate universe New York too much. I didn't want a New York with like elves and orcs and dwarves and stuff in it, where it's almost like we're just calling it New York, but really it's it's more like water deep or something right. else, right? So with this one, I was like, okay, it's got to be New York. Uh, and immediately I started gravitating towards things like Men in Black or Harry Potter or Hellboy, things where a lot of the magical world is actively trying to conceal itself yeah. from regular people, or right? Fa- fables yeah. is another good example. Fables is a great example, right? And so I went, well, I, and immediately, because I, I you know, am a New Yorker, I was like, well, that's easy because New Yorkers famously don't notice when crazy stuff is going sure. on around them. And so we created this thing called the Umbral Arcana, which is managed by a group of wizards called the Gramercy Occult Society, which literally is... Um, Within the bounds of New York, they create this abjurative field of magic, which is uh, that people not inducted into the unsleeping city, into that like hidden world of magic, when they see crazy magic stuff happening, their brain just explains it away. It's this ambient enchantment effect where if they see you know, a bunch of rat mutants jump out of the sewer and have a magic fight with one of the defenders of New York City. They're like, oh man, I saw these crazy guys yelling at this person on in Fifth Avenue. It was nuts. Like their brain just rewrites it differently because of this thing called the Umbral Arcana. And, and because New Yorkers never want to get involved in any of those fights. Right. They just be like, oh, just not walking this way. Walking like, this way, I didn't, yeah. I don't how many times have you walked onto a subway where there's no, a subway car where there's nobody on it except for one person and then you walk on, and then you're like, oh, there's a reason there's no one on this car. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to walk away. Exactly. That's a wizard. That was a wizard that, on that car. That was a wizard. Exactly. Uh, uh, you know, the big, the big first fight we have in the Unsleeping City is, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with SantaCon. Um, yeah. SantaCon is every New Yorker's worst nightmare. <laughs> it, especially in the food industry. Especially in the food industry. I worked as a bartender for many years. Oh. It's, a, it's a nightmare. It's, you're taking all of the drunkest, loudest people from... Hoboken and Long Island and they flood into the city and get just rip-roaring drunk and then they're all dressed as Santa so they're perfectly anonymous. There's no accountability. They're just running rough out of the city and in the Unsleeping City what we said is so that's what normal people see. What's really happening is Santa Claus, the real Santa Claus who's real, uh, in order to get to all those houses in one night, has to clone himself millions of times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, just, and just statistically, some of those clones are going to come out a little wonky. So what he does is because of the Umbral Arcana, he just dumps the uh, scariest mutant clones of himself off in New York, and then the Guardians of New York are dispatched to fight these mutant Santa clones uh, and to the to the waking world, it seems like a pub crawl, but really it is a once a year mutant attack of these defective Santa Claus. Oh um, my god! How did, so then, how do you explain Fleet Week? <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the kind of lore building that we. Yeah. Would, if I was going to do a source book, we would like blow this all out and expand this. Right. Um, uh, it's so so fun, but yeah, it's. Uh, um, so what, what question to respond to that? So the Gramercy uh, thing, is that in, is set in Gramercy Park? Because I always thought that area of New York City, nobody knows about it. It's this weird little rich, arty, theatery kind of haven uh, in the middle of, you know, near Union Square that uh, I felt inspired by. So is, is that from you? Uh, yes, 100%. So the Gramercy Occult Society 
is very much that idea of like, oh, there's this weird park you need a key for. Yes. It's like very secret occult thing. So it started there. And then they have chantries throughout New York. So they have one in Clinton Hill. They have a big, the, the New York Public Library mm. uh, is, is a big headquarters for these wizards. Uh, and the two lions at the outside are, of course, like animated stone guardians that guard the library. Um, so you know, cool. inspiration uh, everywhere. That's amazing. <sighs> I love it. I'm so glad. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. And a, a lot of it is looking at these places that are, uh, you know, finding setting elements that are different keys into getting, like, into uh, D&D world building, right? To go, like, um, like, yeah, like, why can't New York be as magical as, you know, Faerun and Greyhawk and everything else? Like, let's, you know... Uh, uh, why, why can't the Bethesda fountain angel come to life? Or why can't pizza rat show up in the middle of a subway fight uh, and cast a little bit of rat magic? Like, let's, let's I feel see like it. I've why seen not? That. Is Zardulu yeah. a character? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so, you know, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're inspiring tons of listeners right now to, if they haven't already, to jump in and start uh, paying attention to uh, Dimension 20 for all these reasons. But you know, you are uh, uh, in a time right now at College Humor where there's some some flux and some change happening. Uh, is is Dimension Twenty still there? Yes. So um, uh, College Humor uh, has been through a really rocky period in this last week. We had a huge round of layoffs uh, this last week, uh, for, uh, primarily because our former owner IAC. Um, wanted to sell the company. And, uh, you know, so we basically uh, had IAC cut us loose and we lost a lot of funding and it's a very sad thing. Uh, uh, you know, a hundred plus of my good friends and really great people in media and comedy uh, are now uh, uh, cut, f- you know, from the company which is also an opportunity for anyone listening to this. If you own or work at a media company, um, please go and share hireacollegehumor.com. It's a website. Some of our tech people, Andy Ng and um, uh, Andrew Bridgman, spent time creating this website. Um, You know, the cast and crew of College Humor are the kindest, hardest working, funniest people in the world. Uh, And they are, you know looking for work right now. And truly, this is like the most incredible opportunity for anyone that works at a media company to snatch up some of the best, funniest, hardest working, you know, producers, social media people, cast members, writers, performers, this, you know, huge glut of talent is now available both in Los Angeles and New York. Uh, so check out, please check out hireacollegehumor.com. Um, Just to be clear, demen- hire a college humor Yes, okay. hire a college humorer.com. Okay. Um, a lot uh, of errs in there, so I want to make sure everybody gets it. A lot of errs. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's such a uh, sad thing. I remember hearing about it uh, at the same time that everybody else did and just be uh, heartbroken for this, uh, what, what I always thought of college humor as this like kind of hotbed of, of, of talent where there was just so many people creating amazing and funny things that didn't, you know, uh, I think even as close as 10 years ago, no one had like this, this, this freedom to create the way that College Humor had been run in the past and created all this amazing stuff. I mean, absolutely. Uh, College Humor, 
the amount of freedom of expression afforded to the different creators that worked at College Humor is second to none. And um, for the time that we were all there, uh, what we were able to create, I think, is astonishing. And, you know, I, I don't claim to be a business person. I'm not an executive. I can't speak to how or why these decisions got made. But as a creative person and a creator, I defy anyone to look at Dropout or the work that was happening on College Humor and say this is not some of the most exciting original sketch and then comedy, unscripted, all the stuff we were doing content. You know, I started working at College Humor writing questions for Um Actually, which is Mike Trapp's show. You look at Total Forgiveness, you look at Kingpin Katie, you look at um, uh, Paranoia or, or, you know, WTF 101. The shows that we were making there were Except I was every time one of my coworkers released a new project, I was like proud and excited to be able to share it with people. And um, you know, I am very fortunate that uh, Dimension Twenty is going to be able to continue. That I am, you know, one of a small handful of people that will be staying on with Dropout and continuing to create content there. And um, but you know, at the end of the day, like I, I would point, I, I would blindfold myself and throw a dart at a wall with all the shows that were made there and hit something incredible. You couldn't not. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, to, you know, uh, yeah, so all a, of, a lot of opportunity sorry. there, right? Like I think as, as you said, like there's so much, uh, talent that is <laughs> when they were free to create content. Now they're free to create content for anybody right. out there. Yeah. Like, to create stuff, whether it be D and D live play shows. I mean, that's something that, could be a real a real simple thing or all the other fun uh, sketch and comedy that was coming out of there uh, to add that type of flavor to even, you know, stuff that doesn't necessarily have a comedy bent to it. You know, there's, there, there's all that production experience. There's the social media experience, as you mentioned. Like, there's just this yep. wealth of people who have been producing stuff and making things forever. And it's oh, sad to God. see so many of them lose their, 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 their income and their health insurance and all that stuff. I mean, I'm sure many of them have families, so... You know, uh, there's there's a lot of upside to uh, to bringing these people on right now. You're you're describing something that's very real, which is this this uh, schism that I have in my head as well. Which is like, on the one hand, this is tremendously sad, and you know, you never want anyone to have a sudden jarring interruption in their employment. And, you know, it's like, like you're saying, like, because healthcare is tied to employment, you know, most places in this country, then you find yourself like suddenly having your ability to see a doctor interrupted by a change in employment. So it's incredibly sad. And like, if I could do anything to have made that not happen, I would, but there's a schism there because the other side is I have nothing but faith in the people that I worked with. And they're all so talented, so hardworking, so funny, so good. I mean, college humor, the past two years that I was working there, you couldn't find a not nice person. It, every <laughs> single person was a golden-hearted individual that you'd be happy to be in the trenches with. So the schism is the deep sadness on one hand, and then also just this unshakable faith where I'm like, in two two years, y'all are gonna have Emmys. Y'all are gonna have your own shows. You'll be staff writing on stuff. You just, I'm just like I have unshakable faith. Why stop at Emmy? We'll go right to EGOT. They're yeah. gonna have all. <laughs> all Honestly, of them. there are. I look at like Mike Trapp and Rekha Shankar and the cast members I worked with, and I'm like, I don't doubt it. Like yeah. they're just they're they're uh, the most talented people in the world, and um, uh, you know, I uh, you know am so sad for them and then in the same 
other, you know, the other hand, yeah. am like so certain of their success and their talent. It may not feel like it right now for them, but right. you know, I can I can add a little bit of a personal touch. I I was laid off from my last job and was at a media company, uh, <laughs> and had you know very similar kind of thing happen where uh, I was completely devastated. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then three, less than three months later, I was working here. And it ended yeah. up being this great opportunity. Uh, you know, I had to move my family across the country and all, all, all the uh, hardship that goes with that. But I don't think one would have happened without the other. And it's yeah. really difficult to kind of see through the tunnel and get there. But there is also so much um, things that in your life can be these very negative things, but could be catalysts for uh, change and growth that you didn't even realize. A hundred percent. I totally agree. Yeah. It's not, and not to diminish by any means what your coworkers are going through right now, but it, it's also hard to be the person who's left with the job. When, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there is a little <laughs> bit of, it's hard. It's sad. It's feel guilty. It's survivor's guilt, you know, but I, I, you know, obviously my deepest emotional sympathies are with all the people that are like out looking right. for work right now. But I, I do have enough presence of mind to also be very grateful to, um, you know, all the fans of Dimension 20. You know, whoever makes these decisions, the people that are in charge, they... Um, the only reason I didn't walk out the door with all my friends is because of, you know, um, Dimension 20 and the fans of the show. And someone, you know, looked at the books and made a decision that I would get to stay. And I find that on a personal level baffling because, <laughs> you know, I've, uh, uh, all of my peers that are gone are, you know, and I'm just being honest, the funniest, most talented people in the world. Um, so the only re in, in terms of that survivor's guilt, the only reason I'm still here is has nothing to do with me and has to do with the fans of the show and the fact that Dimension 20 has, a, you know, a, a very loyal following. Um, so to all, yeah. to all the fans of the show, thank you more than I can say. Um, because, the, you know, there's you're the reason I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm still here and I'm, like, able to keep doing this. I mean, uh, I, I want to take some credit, too, because it's Dungeons & Dragons that has allowed you <laughs> <laughs> to create this show and have those fans. And, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to call my lawyer real quick. I'm sorry, I got to get this. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm completely joking there. But I think, you know, in some ways, I think there's, there's uh, like I said, a lot of opportunity for... Uh, folks who are creators and things out there to uh, tap into the type of community building that comes with a live play show. It doesn't have to be Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that, but just that, that, that feeling of having this shared storytelling that you're ma making the show together. You're not necessarily talking at people. I think there is a lot of growth happening in there. We've seen from, from you know, the last five years about how uh, live streaming of D and D play and 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 even you know this very podcast about how people are getting more and more attention and people going on it because of this upswell of wanting to be a part of something and uh, I think media is going to shift towards more in that way. Um, so when if you're a creator that's out there, even if it has nothing to do with gaming or, or Dungeons and Dragons, involve your community in everything you're doing for for the very reasons that you know Dimension Twenty is still going to be producing stuff. I mean, a hundred percent. And first of all. 
the amount of gratitude I feel towards Dungeons and Dragons, uh, uh, all bits aside, <laughs> is tremendous. Like, uh, uh, you know, if someone f- phrased a question to me the other day about like, what would you, what do you think you would have done with your life if you hadn't started playing D and D when you were ten? Mm-hmm. And it's a point, it's a pointless question because at with this many years and this much love for this game. It's it's so in my DNA that there's no you know I don't know who I would be if I hadn't right. played this game. It's like what you would know? you do if there were no books? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The, 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 I, I don't have the ability to fathom what that would mean. Um, but even if I had never become a you know professional dungeon master uh, uh, doing an actual play show, uh, I would still owe everything to D and D. And, and in terms of just the hours of enjoyment, I've been playing a home game with my friends. We're going on, it'll be 11 years in June we've been playing. Really? And These are the same, the same crew same, that you started with? Same, uh, same crew I started with. We started playing 11 years ago. We're, it's, we, we are still in 3.5. We, we didn't move to 5e. So we're still playing 3.5. They are, just got to 18th level. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, 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 and we slowed down the rate of play because three of us live in Los Angeles, three of us live in New York, one lives in Chicago because we all were moving in our lives. And now we like play during the holidays or we like, sometimes we'll just like fly all to play for a full weekend together. Oh, nice. So like some of my deepest and most profound friends, like the value that D&D brings to my life, even outside of it being a job that I do is all like my deepest and most profound friendships and my sense of self and identity, the amount of lessons I've learned from playing D and D on a philosophical, internal, emotional, ethical level is staggering. Truly that, you know, I, you couldn't separate it. Um, and to loop it back around to what you were saying, Greg, like there is a love for this game and for content about this game. I think because there is a hunger for like, authenticity and there's a hunger for like bizarrely this like fantasy role-playing game puts you in situations where you and your friends are around a table either digitally or in person uh creating a story that belongs solely to you and your friends and at the end of the day you walk away with these authentic experiences and memories that come from you and the people you love telling a story together uh and it's intoxicating and it's it's so cool to watch the world catch wise to a thing i've known since i was 10 years old uh you know what i mean like just uh, uh, you know the perfect storm of the actual play shows that became popular a really incredible redesign of the game that i think in 5e made the game so accessible and just easy to put into your hand and start um and uh uh I think just the, a moment in culture that like exploded around D and D coming into this huge renaissance that it's been having, and it's the coolest and most exciting thing in the world for people to realize how dope this game has always been. And it's all because of uh, your mom, because of Elaine Lee. Yeah. <laughs> Elaine Lee, right? Like, Early I, adapter. That, that's what's so funny about everything that you're saying is that she saw that somehow. She, she needs saw to do that. a TED talk. <laughs> she really like should. A, for other moms, yeah, about why their kids should all be playing D and D. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll support that. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. give all the we money to, to make, make that, that happen. happen. Yes, no, because you're right. I mean, it's something that we uh, I've experienced when going to to Hascon, which was an th- uh, event that our parent company ran in Rhode Island three years ago. 
that uh, I was, you know, obviously a little bit nervous because I still I was a kid coming up from the moral panic, and there, you know, there were me a lot of kids there with parents, and I was from the Northeast. I was from Connecticut, so I, I had a lot more. I, I knew more how puritanical nor New Englanders can be a little bit more so than other regions of the country. Um, but I was so pleasantly surprised at how many. Once I explained what the game was, because m- many of the, the, the parents and the moms were, were ignorant of, of exactly what it was. They knew, right. they knew D&D, they knew the brand, but they didn't know how to play. And I explained it in a way, you know, that enlightened them really quickly. And then they, they, their eyes just went, like, bug wide and were like, well, how can I get my kid to do this? Mm-hmm. How, do I, how do I get them in yeah. there so that they're, they're going to be playing and talking to each other yeah. and pretending and, and coming up with stories? Like, that's, that's great. I had this conversation with a mom in my neighborhood last night when I, I was I was baking. I was getting some stuff ready. We're playing D&D tonight, so I was prepping. And she's like, why are you making all these cookies? And I'm like, I'm having game night tomorrow. And uh, she was like, what are you playing? And I said, Dungeons and Dragons. And she was like, oh, really? Interesting. And I said, yeah. And I said, soon I'm going to learn how to be a dungeon master, and I'm going to bring all the kids in the neighborhood, and we're going to play. Yeah. And she was like, okay, take my kid, sure, whatever. Uh, but I launched into the whole, like, but it's really good for them. Like, here's all the reasons why it's not just a game, but look at all these things that they're going to learn from, and they're not even going to realize they're learning it. But you've also touched on something huge, Brennan, which is the friendships. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. knowing, like, like, I know so many people that grew up playing D&D, and, and they're still friends with these people. And, like, you know, it's hard. When you're, you're moving around a lot and you've got family and you've got jobs and stuff, and it's hard to maintain friendships, when, especially when you don't live in the same place. But there's that bond of D&D that people, they just don't forget, and they just, it keeps you together. Yeah. And I want that. I want that for my kid. Everybody does. Everybody yes. wants that. I want that now. I want to, you know, make new friends and have better friends now. And I think that's another good thing that D&D does is for not only just for kids, but for, for adults. For adults, too, yeah. No, not many. I mean, I, I, I was uh, 30-something in New York, and it was very hard to might meet new friends unless we had this, like, we're going to play a game together, guys. Yeah. And then, you know, we shared so much more beyond the game that I don't think I would have if we weren't meeting each on a weekly basis around a table. Well, that's the thing, too, is I, I'm the most guilty. Of that. People sometimes ask me, because it's very funny, people will go like, like, well, now that you do D&D for your job, are you, like, losing some of the magic? Right. Is it going away? It's like and, working in an ice cream parlor, and you're like, I hate ice cream now. So, I hate ice cream now. <laughs> I, I never, I always feel a little embarrassed about giving the real answer. Which, <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Yeah, because the real answer is that I want when someone's like, is it getting, is it getting like, you know, you're, you're over, you're overdone, you're done with it? Because the real answer that if I was being honest is I would be like, honestly, I'm bummed out that we're not playing D&D right now. <laughs> <laughs> why are you asking me this you, stupid question? Like, like, why are you asking me this stupid question? I'm, like, honestly, if, it was a, if we were shooting a sketch, I would have a camera on them asking that question and then cut to me just making a character for myself to play, like rolling stats. <laughs> I mean, like, what? I'm, I'm sorry, what did you right say? Now. What'd you say? <laughs> well, because that's the thing is, it's, it's the perfect, uh, the pitch I always give people that have never played D&D before, because that's my favorite thing is to bring new people into the game, right? Pitch I always give people when they, when they really have no frame of reference for what it is, is I go, D&D's three things, okay? You and your friends telling a story together plus gambling about what's going to happen in the story plus hanging out and having a good time. So those three things, right? Storytelling, plus a mechanical game element that creates tension and risk, plus you and your 
best friends getting to know each other. And, you know, the part of me that also was like an improv teacher for many years loves to say, you never get to know people better than when you're playing with them. Mm. Like the amount of insight I have into my, because obviously like you spend quality time with people talking, you get to know them, but I feel like you also get to know your friends from seeing them make up people to be and the decisions they make there in a really gratifying way. Uh, so, you know, to me, it's, it is the, the perfect activity, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and in contrast, I mean, you're talking about if you get old, get old with, you know, if it, does it ever get old for you? Um, I was a game journalist, a video game journalist for a long time. And that was the, the job that I got laid off from. Uh, and it, 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 that did happen to me where I was like, oh, gosh, video games. I don't know if I, I mean, if you have to, like, do a review for a huge RPG, you're talking about 80 hours of time that you got to spend above and beyond the, you know, nine to five that you're doing at the job anyway. And I did get burned out. And I still, to this day, kind of like, I still play a lot of video games, but there's a, definitely a point where I'm like, oh, God, I don't know if I want to spend time passively looking at a screen. And I didn't ever have found that for Dungeons and Dragons. I've never had that moment of, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to spend more time doing this or reading about it or, or, or proselytizing about it here on podcasts and things like that because it is something that, doesn't feel it feels like i'm telling people a, a way to make their lives better you know yeah and, and i don't feel i never felt that way about about video games or i didn't have i didn't have a strong feeling about it uh five years of after five years of doing it yeah 100 percent. and i think that's the that's the, the incredible thing too about the game is it by definition you're gonna have a unique experience because no group of people it's a snowflake like like a, this this group of people on this night in this place with this set of circumstances are going to create something that's never been created before right and the experience you're going to have is going to be totally unique and uh uh you know emily axford said it in a great way you know she was talking about um she was like the memories i make from playing D don't feel different than the memories you make in real life, which I've, you know, if you read about psychology and the way the brain works, uh, we don't have two different centers in our brain for processing visual information and for visual imagination. It's the same part of your brain. The part that your mind's eye and your eyes go to the same place, right? So when you create these fantastical memories, there is a part of me that believes like, of, like, how could you not become a better person from making these heroic decisions? Even if it's fictional, mm -hmm. you're still putting yourself through the emotional experience of being a hero. I, you know, in my long, like, 10-year home game, three years into it, we had a PC death, which is always a very intense experience when you play a game, right? And one of my, you know, my close friends, one of them needed to hit a nat 20. They were fighting an enemy way outside of their, their, you know, they were punching way above their weight, right? And it was like, if you hit this nat 20, you can save your friend. And my friend rolled a 19. Oh. Oh. Heartbreak. Heart oh. I look, look, you guys are like groaning because it's so real. Uh. The, the, the stories are so real. Cut to, you know, four years of real time later, we've all like aged four years. They're all the characters are high level now and they go on an adventure in the, the ring of death in, in this like underworld, right? And who do they come across but their friend who oh. they couldn't save. And we were playing the day after Christmas, sitting on the floor in my parents' house in upstate New York. And I'm sitting there and 
my friend Nick, who plays the paladin of the group, and my friend Jack, who plays this lion folk monk warrior uh, who died, this lion folk who died, are walking on this bridge over void in death. And my friend Nick looks to Jack, and after four years of not really being able to say it in character, looks over and just goes, I'm so sorry I couldn't save you. Uh-huh. And starts crying in real life, like tears. I might, and my I fr- might start crying <laughs> in real life. This is really yeah, touching. It's really touching. And this like spirit, this ghost, you know, uh, you know, wraith of his friend, like puts an arm on his shoulder and goes like, it's not your fault. Oh, and, forgive just, and then gives him a hug. And then gives him a big hug. Like Robin Williams and Matt Damon, you know, like it's not your yeah, fault. It's not your fault. <laughs> oh and my God. you're just saying, all of us are just in tears and we all look around. And then, you know, like a, a minute later, it's like, Okay, do you guys want to order pizza? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, yeah. Can I have a cigarette? Oh, God. <laughs> a cigarette? Like, it's this, but, like, I don't, fic- there's, a, there's the line Dumbledore says in the final book of Harry Potter where, you know, Harry Potter goes, like, like is this real? Uh, or something like that. Uh, and Dumbledore says that, I'm, I'm doing a horrible job paraphrasing here, but basically says, like, like, of, Harry Potter says, is this in my head or is it real? And Dumbledore goes like, well, yes, it's in your head, but why should that mean it's not real? Mm-hmm. And the amount of catharsis and growth and like, you know, from those moments, like some of my most important memories are from moments where we were being people other than ourselves. And I think that's the most beautiful thing that this game has to offer. I'm going to go have a good cry. I feel like you also need to do a TED Talk. (laughs) (laughs) I love love everything you're saying. I I think it is absolutely what the core of this game is for so many different people. And it doesn't matter what edition it is or even, you know, what specific rule set you're using. Like, there is something really that cuts to the deepness of what humanity is that, uh, you know, uh, brings these emotions forward in ways that, you know, I don't think necessarily people are comfortable with. Um, you know, especially, you know, uh, adult males out there. Uh, you know, you don't... I, I don't think I've heard another story that was not involving D&D where uh, uh, grown adults were around a table crying. Uh, yeah. About something sweet that happened between two of them, right? Absolutely. And, and that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that catharsis and finding that and it's really, I, I don't know how to describe it other than, than like, because it's so funny because you have this game and you open the rule books and it's like, okay, here's a knoll, here's a beholder, here's Melf's acid arrow. And you look at those and then you hold those books up and you're like, within this is the secret to stories and moments of emotion and heartbreak and you're like, the book that has Melf's acid arrow in it <laughs> is the book that's going to break my heart. And I'm like, Dude, yes. Well, I th- yeah. There's, a, there's another layer to Melf, too. Do you know that Melf is Luke Gygax's character, the son of Gary Gygax? He, That's so His so character was Melf, and he created that spell with his dad. <clears throat> and th- that, that spell has come and been in every edition. And to hear Luke tell about it, I had also had a tear in my eye when he's talking about it because I'm like, this, it's not just a silly spell that does acid yeah. damage. Yeah. It's got family about it. It's got this, oh, this amazing story to it. So. so much. That's so incredible. Yeah, you can't get away from it. No. 
Even <laughs> in, in, in an example like that. So the the heart is there, man. The heart is there. It's so good. I love um, it. Well, thank yeah. you. And your your your. I mean, that whole Dumbledore quote is also top of mind for me based yep. on your discussions too about how you're creating these fantasy stories that are just like a layer beneath our world. Um, and I think it's a really great area to continue to explore and I'm really uh, thankful that Dimension 20 is able to continue to explore that and I want more people to and and, uh, yeah, thank you for for telling these stories for as many years as you have. Uh, It's such a pleasure and an honor to be on the show, gang. I cannot, it it is so cool to uh, come on your guys' podcast and be talking with, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, like the institution itself and, you know, stepping out and kind of just being, you know, this guy, I've just, I'm just some dude who's been playing this game for a long time and coming to the official institution and being like, I think this game is really about like friendship and heart and to have official confirmation of like, yes, as a representative Nailed of the it. institution. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's and I'm it. like, oh my God, it means so much. So thank you very, very much for having me on. You're the best. Yeah, uh, you really are. Yeah, people do. Oh, people love you. Um, oh, that's a lot of people bad. were really excited when they found out you were going to be on the show. And I'm going to speak for Greg here too. But I think we love you a lot. <laughs> too. Like a lot. I love like more than I even you. thought was possible. <laughs> well, that means the war. I can't. I'm very. I'm getting very emotional. I love you guys both <laughs> very, very much. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You're the best. Uh, just before we let you go, what's the best way if people want to listen to this and want to find out how to, to to find out what you're doing, especially about you know Dimension Twenty? Where's where's the best location? Uh, awesome. Uh, for me personally, you can find me on Twitter at Brennan LM. That's B-R-E-N-N-A-N-L-M. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Brennan Lee Mulligan. You can follow Dimension 20 Show at, uh, at Dimension 20 Show on Twitter. Um, our Twitch live show, The Continuing Adventures of Fantasy High, the young teen heroes of Degport Adventuring Academy, that's on twitch.tv slash dropout live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific. So if you're a Twitch person, you can find us there. Um, for uh, uh, If you want to get a, f- a taste of some of our free stuff we've put up, you go to Dimension 20, uh, our YouTube channel. You can watch Fantasy High, the whole first season's up there. If you want to watch the rest of it, uh, just go to dropout.tv, and you can sign up for Dropout. That's where you know Tiny Heist is coming out right now on Thursdays. That's where all our, our, you know, our whole catalog of adventures are there, uh, and that's where you can find us and check out what we're doing. Fantastic. I love all of it, um, and... Of course, if you're looking for any humorer, go to uh, hireacollegehumorer.com and find out uh, how to get some of the amazing folks who are at College Humor uh, on your teams uh, and uh, make sure that they have this emotional moment just like we just had. Yeah. <laughs> they need to start <laughs> playing D&D if they, if they aren't already. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get a big, a huge D&D game uh, uh, with all of them. Uh, Combat will be a, a slog. A hundred yeah. <laughs> people in combat is going to be a slog, but we're going to do it. No combat. Um, we'll just hug it out. We'll hug it out every single hug time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Brennan. Take it easy. Thanks, Brennan. Take care. Thank you so much, gang. Take care. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. What an awesome dude. I'm so excited about all of the creativity that comes out of Brennan so Mulligan. What a great, great game. I feel like I want to go to that high school. I do, too. Yeah. High school magical. Should we do high school all over again? No. <laughs> you know what? If I can do magic, I will. Like play magic? I think you would have been one of the cool kids playing magic. No, if I could do magic. <laughs> cast magic. 
somehow. <laughs> no, that was, you were like an actual like uh, wizard. Like you were from uh, Yennefer from The Witcher. Like I felt like you uh, you had it there. Well, <laughs> you brought me back to high school, and I didn't like it. Yeah, you're like, do not. I want. want to do magic. <laughs> I cast diarrhea on all of you bitches. And all of the acrobats. <laughs> oh, don't let me forget. I have a great joke. Oh. Knock, knock. Who's there? <laughs> wait, wait. Knock, knock. <laughs> Who's there? Smell mop. Smell mop who? Ew, gross. I'm not going to smell your poo. Who are you? Come on, that's good. Smell my poo. Smell my poo. (laughs) Come on, it's genius. Is it? Ryan, is it? (laughs) I wish Pollen was here. He would like it. (laughs) I wish Quinn was here. He would like it. Quinn does like it. Yeah. Did he come up with it? No, we read it in a book. Wow, that's good. But we we say that like five times a day to each other, along with Potty in the elevator. (laughs) You guys are good friends. I like this. You guys are friends, yeah. We're friends. Yeah. Yeah. I'm friends with my kids. Yeah. I, I, I tell them that all the time. I'm like, oh, it's so cool hanging out with you guys. Yeah. Yeah. But so, you still have to listen to me. Yeah. Everything I say. Well, then, yeah, then, right, exactly. Then you, then, then turns. Then you have to be like, I am yeah. the monster then, then who so casts confusing. magic and casts diarrhea upon cast you. magic. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, now I want, I mean, there probably already is one, but now I want to create like a diarrhea spell. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that all the time. Like when I get angry at something or someone, I'm like, this, I would cast diarrhea because it's not like, I'm not, I don't want to blow someone up. I don't want to kill them. I don't want to maim them. But I just want to do something that's going to be hugely inconvenient yeah. and embarrassing. Right. Diarrhea. Oh, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys. Uh, I'll be right back. Let's ask Perkins uh, about that. All right. Yeah. We'll have him design it. What's for the us. closest thing to it? Let's, uh, let's, well, let's, let's ponder. Let's put a pin in that. Diarrhea, if we can. It's you can't not pin the right. <laughs> you can't pin it down. It's like Maria. <laughs> um, I, I think we're totally fired, but meanwhile, we should get out the word about where people can find out about Dungeons and Dragons. Is that a good idea? Yeah. All right. So, Dragon Plus <laughs> is an app that you can download on your phone. And it's got tons of great content in it that has nothing to do with bodily functions or uh, embarrassing things. If you want your D&D without bad jokes, poop talk, go there. Go there. That's (laughs) that's the way to do it. That's where the mature people are. Um, There is also uh, social media is perfect. You can go follow us on Twitter at wizards underscore DND. We have an Instagram account that is very similar to that, uh, wizards underscore DND. Facebook pages, check them out. There's lots of great content coming yes. through there. And then twitch.tv slash DD yeah. is where you can watch all types of yes. different amazing creative um, casts playing through uh, their own stories, incorporating stories that we publish uh, going forward. It's 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 really an amazing resource. If you haven't been watching our live Dragon Talk recordings uh, at 12 p.m. on Fridays, you probably should. Uh, there's mm. a lot more gross stuff that happens that doesn't make it into the podcast, if you can believe it. Mm. Yes, um, I know. In- including about stories about uh, trapeze artists. There are uh, standards. <laughs> Do you want me to tell a story? No, I don't want you to tell a story. <laughs> Just go Google it, people. I'm sure it's, it's on there. Uh, how can people um, make us giggle with terrible stories, Shelley? How could they get in touch with you? How about on Twitter at Shelly Moo? Tell me your DM stories and yes. knock knock jokes. And not your BM stories. Um, More in there. <laughs> I am at Greg Tito. 
Follow me there. I answer as many questions as I can uh, about all of your fun things, uh, but not, but not bodily fluids. Such oh man, <laughs> you just That's got that. So good. I, it's just why haven't we made that connection before? Oh, I don't. Probably there's a reason. Oh. <laughs> uh, but I want to give a shout out, of course, to Ryan Marth, who Yay! has been here for years and years making the audio. Thank you for uh, producing this show. Lisa Carr, who helps get all of Yay! our interviewers on board and all of that from Pelham Green making the videos happen for all of this. You are all wonderful folks and uh, we can't make Dragon Talk without you. And then of course to our listeners Yes! You are the people sticking with it. Who Listen all the way to the end if you can make it and I appreciate you for that. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to get out of here and so let's sign off. Okay. How should we do that, Shelly? Just go ahead and kick that door down. You have to pee real bad. I do too. Oh. Party in the elevator. <laughs>